Welcome into another edition of Ask the Experts. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dave Callender. I'm back with us from Remax Twin City Realty. It's only Canada's top real estate agent, Faisal Susiwala. Hi, Faisal. How are you doing? Fine, thanks, David. How are you? Glad to have you back on the show. That's how I am, and always happy to have you here. Everyone's talking real estate these days for numerous reasons, so it's it's always wonderful to have you on. We remind everyone that as they listen to the show today, if they'd like to get more information, you can call Faisal at 519-624-5555 or go online to learn more at homeshack.com. Of course, you can always pick up a copy of his book as well, The Real Deal. I, I happen to, to have it right here. Uh, it's available on Amazon as a regular old book and also as an audio book for that as well. So, so much has been going on. Why don't we start out with a, a market update like we usually do? What's been happening in the market? Well, we've certainly seen a, a big transition in the valuation uh, of homes in this region and pretty much across Ontario and most of Canada, where we are seeing declines in pricing and we're seeing increase in inventory. So that's kind of the opposite of what we have been used to for almost two years now, where prices just continued rising and inventory was very difficult to come by. But now we're certainly seeing a lot more inventory in the marketplace, uh, a lot more options available to buyers. And sellers are, in some instances, getting a little bit concerned about the days on market for their home. So we are seeing a shift happening in the market for sure. And people who may have bought like at the end of last year and, and paid a premium, are they? have you heard any uh, buyer's remorse because they didn't wait for things to go down? Well, so anyone who bought, uh, let's say, January or February, uh, as long as they sold, if they were selling, if, as long as they sold in the same time frame, they're going to be okay. But for those folks who bought in January and February with a closing of, let's say, June or July, and they held off on selling their home, anticipating an increase in the value in the spring market, which typically is what happens, those folks are certainly disappointed and panicking in some state uh, because they're not getting the pricing that they had expected. In addition to that, those who bought back in January or February but waited to get their financing set up or approvals in are you know, getting a rude awakening right now because the appraisals that are coming in on those homes are sometimes 10 or 15% less than what they had actually paid for those homes. And certainly, we all know about interest rates that are being uh, that are rising. That it's affecting the qualifying of some of these mortgages as well. So, Faisal, what caused the shift in the market? Is it just the interest rates? There's so many factors. So, you know, inflation. So, interest rates need to rise to get inflation back in check, but. It's just a complete fumble of the system right now. So there's the political aspect of it, there's the economic aspect of it, and then there's the world issues that we are facing right now that are also causing it. So we can talk about a few of the factors. Yes, interest rate being one, but interest rates alone would not have caused what we're seeing in the marketplace. Interest rates alone would not have caused this massive uh, inventory influx and this massive lack of demand and prices coming down. So let's look at our region for one. Who are the buyers in our region and where are these buyers coming from? They were typically coming from the GTA. They were de-urbanizing. With back to work, 
legislation in a way, and also people having this hybrid, uh, let's work a couple of days at home and a few days um, back at the office, those folks are now faced with fuel costs that are 30, 40% above what they were about a month and a half ago. You know, at, so at $2.10 a liter or $2 a liter, one is going to think twice about uh, moving to our region because that's probably adding to the average commuter who commutes even let's say 15 times a month, probably five to $600 in addition to the, what they were paying for their fuel costs. So those folks are saying, well, hang on, maybe we should look at Milton, Brampton, all the areas that people were coming from, they're sort of saying we might, might wanna go back. To add to that, the values in Milton, Brampton, Mississauga have also declined. So it's giving an opportunity to buy at a lesser price. So the cost that they're saving on the fuel, they can put towards their mortgage payment. So we've got interest rates, we've got fuel costs, we've got media, we've got um, the media is coming out and politicians and economists are coming out and announcing on the media that they're expecting a 25% decline by the end of this year. That really puts a wrench into the whole system. Now, let's be mindful of the fact that we are up over 60% in the last two years. Today, as we speak, we are down about 15% off of the high. So we're still up 45%. But the problem is that Folks have been accustomed to seeing what their neighbor got, and now they're expecting the same kind of results for their home, not really paying attention to where the market has shifted to and why the market has shifted. Is this a temporary um, situation that we're going to be facing, or is this long-term? If these interest rates continue to rise, we are going to pretty soon be heading towards a recession. And that's a word nobody wants to speak of right now, but there has to be another way to create um, affordability without raising interest rates and, and control inflation as not to get to a point where we're going to head towards recession. So these are a lot of different moving parts here. And again, I think that the government just threw a lot of money out there and they fumbled the entire system. As you said, no one wants to hear the word recession. And with that in mind, do you think there will be any further interest rate hikes this, this year? Absolutely. We're expecting a, a, a 50 basis point or half a percent increase in the interest rates uh, for June 1st. Now they're expecting another 50% moving into July. I have heard mixed opinions on what's going to happen. I've heard mis mixed announcements on what's going to happen. I've heard there could be up to nine interest rate hikes before the end of the year. Now, I don't know what the rate of those hikes will be, but do I expect the interest rates to rise just 1% from where they are today? No, I expect them to rise probably 2% by the end of the year. So we, right now, just to put this into perspective, we are seeing 4.25, let's say for a five year, as we speak today, middle of May, um, that will probably jump up to 4.75 for a five-year fixed, which could start touching close to 6% by the end of the year. So that's going to really have a huge impact on your affordability and in turn on the pricing of a home. Now, you mentioned at the top of the show that inventory in our region is actually going up a little bit. We've got more. What exactly is the inventory like right now? So if we go back to January and February, the supply was 
somewhere around a week's worth of inventory in the marketplace. Now we're seeing about a month and a half worth of inventory. There are close to a thousand active listings for sale right now in the region of Waterloo. At one time, there were less than a hundred active listings beginning of this year. So again, the demand was there, the supply was non-existent, and that's what was causing 10 to 15 offers and the bidding wars and the three to 400,000 over asking and all of that to happen. Now we're still seeing bidding wars. It's not that it's gone. Strategically speaking, people have to have had to pivot on how they're approaching the sale of their home. And there's a lot of different ways of doing it, um, but we're certainly seeing a lot more inventory. The good news is that a buyer can put a thoughtful process into purchasing right now, as opposed to feeling pressured. I was going to ask you actually about buyers right now uh, and what they're probably thinking with the fact that interest rates have gone up, but prices may have come down a bit. Is this still a good time to buy? It, it is a good time to purchase and it will continue to be a good time to purchase throughout the year because of the rising interest rates. And that might sound odd, like, oh, is it a good time to buy when the rates are going up? Well, it's a good time to buy because let's Let's face it, buyers are not buying based on purchase price. They are buying based on payment. So to give you an example, let's say one can afford $2,000 per month today on their mortgage payment. Let's not even worry about what their down payment is. Let's just say their payment affordability based on what they're qualified today at 4.25% is $2,000 per month. And let's just say that a $600,000 home, depending on what they're putting down, will get them that home at $2,000 per month. When the interest rates rise, they're still only able to afford $2,000 a month. So something's going to have to move. They're not going to be able to afford more. So the prices will have to come down to align with the payment, just as prices went up. So if we go back six months, a year, year and a half, as the interest rates were low, or actually two years ago, when the interest rates were at an all-time low, the buyer was able to afford $2,000 a month. And that was when the rates got lower, the prices went up. So they were able to afford a bigger home, sorry, not a bigger home, but a higher, um, uh, they were able to spend the same amount of money and pay more for that home. It's not that they got a better home. They got the same home for more money. So today, it'll be the opposite. They will get a cheaper home for the same money. It's just going to be a balancing act. The, the disconnect here is that sellers have not really climatized to the new valuations, and they're still looking in the rearview mirror and seeing what their neighbor got and expecting the same results that their neighbors were getting. Unfortunately, the rude awakening is it's not going to happen. Just as buyers would look at a home that sold a week ago for 750,000, and then they have to pay $800,000 this week, and 850 the next week, and 900, and that's really, I'm not exaggerating, that's the rate of increases that were happening because of lack of supply and affordability was good. Rates go down, prices go up. Rates go up, prices will come down. My guest today on Ask the Experts, we're speaking with Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty. Find out more online at homeshack.com or give them a call at 519-624-5555. Welcome back to Ask the Experts. Faisal Suziwala is my guest, joining us from Remax Twin City Realty. Online at homeshack.com or give them a call at 519-624-5555. 
it's not an unusual sight to drive around KW and see a uh, big sign surrounding a hole in the ground saying, condo coming, buy now. But there's no condo there yet. So let's talk about the pre-construction purchases of condos. Should you do it? Should you not? What are the pros and cons? So pre-construction is a tricky topic, and I'll tell you why. It's um, I kind of equate it to back in the old days. You remember the uh, dot-com days, and everybody was giving you a stock tip, and everybody was telling you, even the guy pumping your gas is saying, hey, I got a stock tip for you. If you put you know X amount of dollars into this, you're going to triple your money in a week. That's kind of where this pre-construction sales has gone to. And I'm literally getting approached by everybody saying, oh, you know, I've just booked two homes. I've booked three homes and they don't close for three, three years, or I've booked a condo. Um, and I'm getting agents, buyers contacting me on, on a regular basis saying, hey, do you have any pre-construction deals? So let me rewind two or three years ago. If you were buying pre-construction, there was a good chance that you were buying it at a reasonable rate. And there was an excellent chance that by the time that project came to completion, that you would be up 20, 30% on your, on your original investment or the value of that unit will have gone up according to the same rate that a resale home or a resale condo was increasing. Builders, developers sort of tuned into the fact that, hey, we have such high demand on pre-construction and there's no inventory out there. Buyers cannot buy resale homes. So let's hop on that bandwagon. Let's start doing this pre-construction, pre-sale, coming soon, registration. So a unit uh, or a project may have 100 units or 150 units or 300 units, and they will get 50,000 registries wanting to, to reserve a unit in that project. They take the names, then they release it and say one day only or two days only, and they release it to a bunch of agents. They give agents all kinds of incentives to come in. They pay, they're paying double, triple the commission rate that you would get just selling a regular uh, home just to give the incentive to the agent to get their sphere to now book pre-construction. In fact, they'll pay you 50% of your commission up front. So these are a lot of incentives for realtors to, to engage their audience and their buyers and their sphere to go and buy these pre-construction home. What they're not understanding, the buyers are not understanding, as they're paying future valuation, not current valuation on these pre-construction. So as I mentioned, in the past, a let's just talk about a condo. A condo would have been $500,000 today that you could go and buy on King Street or in Waterloo. Today, you would have, let's just say you would have paid $500,000 for that condo. If you're buying pre-construction, that same condo, same square footage, same amenities, similar location, is probably gonna be $800,000 because the developer and the builder is factoring that by the time that project is complete, the value, the future value of it will be $800,000. So that's very different than what we were doing two or three years ago. Two or three years ago, you could buy a resale for $500,000 or you could buy pre-construction for $500,000 and close in two years. So there was a definite benefit. Buyers have, it, have just become so blind to the fact that they're paying 
future value. And they're just so grateful for the opportunity to pay the developer, pay the builder this exuberant amount of money to have the opportunity to get a unit because they just beat out 30,000 people that were registered and their name was called, which is really going to be a huge problem. And we're gonna talk about why it's gonna be a huge problem in a bit, but pre-construction, yes. If you can buy pre-construction at today's value, Look at a townhome. If a townhome is selling for $750,000 or $800,000 and you could buy pre-construction today for $750,000 or $800,000 and it's closing in a year, absolutely. I tell you, go and buy it. But if you're going to pay $950,000 for that condo, I'm going to say don't buy it because you don't know in two years where this market's going to be. I understand, and I'm not trying to discredit builders and developers. I understand why builders and, and, and developers are doing this because they're hedging against the value, the inflation of materials. A sheet of plywood is $95. A, a two by four stud is $10. So they're saying, hey, look, if our construction cost is going to be X, we need to build that into our, our cost now. And But let's, let's face it, they're not gonna give you money back if their construction cost is less. So buy pre-construction, absolutely not. I wouldn't, unless you're buying it at the rate that you could buy a resale, similar square footage, similar location, don't get caught up in, hey, I won because my name was called and I have an opportunity to buy. And the incentives that realtors are being given is absolutely disgusting. And I say shame on you for getting your buyers involved in these projects because you're going to have a hard, hard time convincing them that the value is there in the future when it's actually not going to be there. Are there any still pre-construction deals out there that actually are at a fair market value right now? There are, there are a couple of local builders in the KW area that will be offering uh, pre-construction. And I had this very talk with some of these builders and they are reputable. And they are folks that understand exactly what I just spoke of. And they will be releasing these at market value, but there's still time. It's not going to happen immediately. And again, you know, builders and uh, developers are apprehensive about doing releases right now because they're still trying to figure out where this market is going. Right. And what is the condo inventory situation right now? It's increasing. And I'll tell you, a lot of the pre-construction that were sold on, on hype, we're talking $1,500 a square foot. You could go to Mississauga and buy a, a condo for $1,500 per square foot today. Why is one paying $1,500 a square foot in Kitchener? Because it's speculation. And that speculation, I've been through three cycles of this type of thing. Back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, we saw what happened in the Toronto market when prices dropped 35 to 40%. We had a recession. That recession, that recovery didn't happen till almost 2000. So be very careful with pre-construction and make sure if you're buying at today's value, not at future value. And I mean, if you're not entirely sure, is that something that you should ask your realtor about whether or not you're getting a fair deal? Absolutely, but don't ask the don't ask a realtor who has been incentivized to sell you that condo because they're getting paid huge bucks. So maybe you know what? Ask a realtor who has nothing to do with that project, or ask um, an accountant, or ask somebody who's who has been accustomed to buying and selling real estate. Ask their opinion, get some advice. Don't just jump in because monkey see, monkey do, because that's what this market has been. My guest today on Ask the Experts, once again, we're speaking with Faisal Suziwala, 
author of The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker, available on Amazon as a book, an audio book. And of course, uh, here in town, you can get a hold of him at 519-624-5555 or learn more great information online at homeshack.com. On the show today, Faisal Suziwala is my guest. Faisal is Canada's top real estate agent with Remax Twin City Realty. You can find him online at homeshack.com or by phone at 519-624-5555. Faisal, next question. Let's talk about assignment sales. It's something that uh, you introduced me to a while ago. I didn't even know what they were, but for folks who haven't heard, what is an assignment sale of a home or condo? The assignment sale, it's something that's been around for a long time, mostly in larger condo markets uh, like Vancouver and Toronto. We saw a lot of these assignment sales. So an assignment is simply, um, Dave, you go and purchase a property today with a long closing date. So it's a year, year and a half out. And it's usually on pre-construction. So you're buying pre-construction, which we've already said is probably not a great idea. But let's just say you did buy pre-construction. And you bought a condo for $650,000. Now, just before the closing, which might be a year from now or two years from now, you have the right to assign your contract. So you're assigning your paper to myself for $100,000 or $200,000 profit. So what happens on the closing date is I write the check for the entire amount of the purchase. You get $200,000 of it and the builder gets the balance of it. A lot of builders will charge an assignment fee. I've, I've heard different fees, $5,000, 5%, $50,000, or they're participating in your profit. So it just depends. So there's always a fee attached to it, or most of the times there's a fee attached to it. If there's no fee attached to it, chances are you're paying too much for it right up front. So probably not a good idea to do it anyways. So that's what, in a nutshell, an assignment is you bought the original contract, or the original property, you're assigning that piece of paper to me, but I'm going to be the one closing it, not you. You make the difference between what you paid for it and what I pay you for. And the builder gets the balance, which you agreed to pay the builder, but you make that 150 or $200,000 profit on that money. And what are the, the tax implications on that kind of sale? So that's the dark side of an assignment. And this has just happened as of May 7th. It was part of the budget. And I'm surprised at how many people, buyers of pre-construction or assigners have no idea that this new legislation is going to have a horrendous impact on their bottom line. So just as I said, it sounds great, right? You bought it for 650,000, you sold it me sold it to me for 850,000. You just made $200,000, Dave. Congratulations. It sounds great, but it's not great because right off the bat, you as the seller or the assigner of that contract has to pay 13% HST on the full price of that purchase. So if you do the math, and you know I'm not great at the math here, but let's say it's $600,000, you're going to pay um, 13% on that $600,000 to the government of Canada as your HST. Now I bought it from you. I'm buying it for $800,000. I now have to pay 13% because I'm the assignee. So I'm paying 13% on the $800,000. So it doesn't sound like a good deal for me either now. 
But what's worse for you, Dave, is that you now have to pay capital gains tax on 100% of your gain. If you made $100,000 and you're in a 50% tax bracket, you're going to write a check to the government of Canada for $50,000. They're your new partner now, Dave. So is it a good idea to do an assignment? Absolutely not. Where's the money? All of the profit has just been taken in taxes. Why? Because the government, and rightfully so, wants to stop real estate from be becoming an investment tool. It, it's not a trading tool. Real estate was meant for people to buy and live in and have a home. It wasn't meant to buy and trade. And assignments, it might as well be listed on the, on the stock exchange because that's exactly what you're doing. You're trading, you're trading contracts and you're trading future contracts saying, you know, in the future, this is going to be worth $800,000. So I'll buy it for six and I'll sell it to you for eight. So the government has really put a hard stop. Well, they haven't put a stop. They've just made it very difficult for you to make money. So let's go back to my earlier talk about pre-construction. Today, if you wanted to buy that condo at $1,500 a square foot for 500 square feet, you're paying $750,000. Just think about that. You can buy a 500 square foot condo today for less than $500,000. Why are you paying $1,500 a square feet, $750,000 for the same condo, a $250,000 to $300,000 premium? Now you have to pay 13% tax on that. The buyer has to pay 13% tax on that. And you're going to get taxed at 100% of the capital gains is taxable, which is different than if you own property for a long period of time, then it's not 100%, it's 50% is, is tax exempt, and then you're paying your marginal tax rate on the balance. And again, I'm not an accountant, speak to an accountant about this, but an accountant will confirm. And again, I'm surprised at the number of people who have no idea. Now, mind you, we're only four days or five days in to this legislation being passed, but it was in the budget, it's spelt out. If you uh, Google right now, assignment sales tax implication, you can go online today and find out exactly what your tax implication has been. So what does this mean for the market? Big problems. Anybody who had bought a property who is not in a position to close. So remember, when you're buying an assignment, when you're buying a property to assign, Dave, you might say, okay, it's a $500,000 purchase. I've got my 20%. I can put $100,000 down. I'll borrow against my home, a line of credit, and I'll put $100,000 down. Well, you may have thought at that point is I'll never have to come up with the other $400,000 because I'm going to sign my contract and I'm going to make all this money. Now, because of the tax legislation, it's not going to be easy for you to assign that because most people are not going to want to pay the 13%. You've got a 13% bill. They've got a 13% bill. You've got an additional 50% bill. And they're, they're going to have to pay all these premiums to buy that unit from you. Chances are, if you've bought a home with the intention of assigning it, you better start working now and getting your financing in place because there's a very, very good chance that you're going to have to be closing on that deal. If you're not going to be able to close that deal, you're going to lose your deposit. Chances are you're going to get sued for the difference if the builder cannot recover what you had offered. And it's just going to be a, a poop storm coming your way for sure. All right. So... When it comes to assignment sales, Faisal says no, emphatically. All right. Uh, earlier in the uh, show, we talked a bit about interest rates. Let's uh, head back there for a minute. 
With the rising interest rates, uh, what is your opinion, Faisal? Is it best to lock in rates now? Over time, I've always played the variable game. And variable means that, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's according to prime. So if prime goes up, your payment will go up accordingly. But prime has always been less than the 4.25 that it is now. It's still not that high. So yes, going variable is best if you have the risk tolerance to watch your payment vary because it's a variable rate. So one month you might be paying based on 2.5%, next month it might be 2.75, then it might go to 3%. But over, like in the past, variable has always been less than the fixed for the most part. There have been times where variable has exceeded uh, fixed rates. So for example, if you locked in at 2.24% two years ago, your rate is going to be less than the variable rate after all these rises that we're going to see. So you're okay because you locked in at a very low rate. But if you lock in at four and a half percent, which we're going or 4.75, which we will be at very, very shortly, uh, there's still going to be a fair gap between the locked in rate and the variable rate, probably about 2% difference between the two. So if you're risk adverse lock in, because then you know your payments can be fixed for the next five years. The banks want you to lock in. The banks don't want you to go variable. And I've seen in my career and, and ownership of real estate that every five, seven years, you see these interest rates going up. Uh, the banks sort of scare you into locking your rate in. So you lock it in at four and a half percent. The banks are happy because they've now locked in their profits. The bank has locked in their profits for the next five years. They know they've got Dave's money for five years and he's going to be paying four and a half percent on that money. After a couple of years, you kind of see that start coming down. Now it's gone down to 4%, then it's down to 3.75. So anybody who had locked in prior to COVID, they were locked in at a much higher rate and they missed out on the opportunity to get that lower rate. So riding the variable is still the way that I prefer to go because it's traditionally been less than the fixed rates other than the last two years. But I think we're going to see um, a lot of pressure on people to lock in because, you know, when 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 the feds talk about nine percent, nine increases by the end of the year, if each increases is a quarter percent, you know, we're, we're close to what we're going to hit eight percent, nine percent interest. We've seen those rates before. So uh, uh, certainly I'm not fear mongering here, but back in the late 80s, interest rates were close to 12 percent. So. Can that happen? I hope not, because it will put our economy into a downward spiral. Well, since you mentioned fear-mongering, yes. uh, let's talk about the headlines then. We mentioned them at the start of the show, uh, seeing headlines saying things that, uh, like the market is going to dip as much as 25% at the end of the year. Is the media sensationalizing things, or could that happen? The media is just reporting what they're being told. So the big banks, all the five big banks, the economists, the politicians are talking about this adjustment that's going to happen. Now, politicians are talking about it because they want to, you know, make housing affordable again. Right. So they're saying, you know, rising interest rates will make housing affordable. It'll allow people to get back into the market. It'll keep the investors out of the market. And that's good. That's good for votes. Um, but again, we can talk about affordable housing in a moment. Um, I don't believe that we're going to see a 25% dip. 
I do believe that we're going to see 15 to 20%. We're already almost at 15%. But let's not forget, January to March, we went up 11%. So if we adjusted 15% negative, we're only back to November pricing. And November, December, we, we were still at an all-time high. I've said this before. We were up 60% from March of 2020 to March of 2022, 60%. So if we go back 15 or 20%, you're still up 40%. It's not awful, people. It's just because we're looking in the rearview mirror, we're looking at what the neighbor got, and we're saying, why can't I get what my neighbor got? You're not going to get what your neighbor got probably for another year and a half to two years. That's, that's a fact. Because with rising interest rates, prices have to come down. So when prices are starting to come down, it will give an opportunity to buyers to enter the market the headlines are there. Look, the headlines were there in the beginning of COVID. I remember coming on your show, in fact, uh, in the beginning of March, and I stated that it is extremely unlikely. The headlines were that the market will drop 25%. This was March of 2020. Uh, the, the market is going to drop 25% due to COVID. Well, guess what, headliners? The market went up 60% since since. COVID happened. They didn't take into account interest rates declining. They didn't take into account de-urbanization. They didn't take into account work at home. So all of these lifestyle, they didn't take into account communal living wouldn't be popular because people didn't want to touch elevators and doors and common facilities. So all of this, this whole pandemic has been a real boost to our economy. So we're, so we're giving some of that back. So what? Stop looking at what your neighbor got and focus on the fact that you're still up 40%. My guest is Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty. Uh, you can call Faisal anytime at 519-624-5555 or go online and get lots of great information at homeshack.com. Welcome back to Ask the Experts. My guest is Faisal Suziwala, Canada's top real estate agent with Remax Twin City Realty online at homeshack.com or call him at 519-624-5555. So Faisal, tell me what the, the whole process of, of making an offer is like these days. Are, are we still seeing offers going well above and beyond the asking price? We are, we are still seeing offers coming in above asking price, but let's take a step back. We're, we're, we're seeing less viewings. So the, like I mentioned earlier, the inventory has definitely increased. You know, we've got close to a thousand homes, which is great for the buyers because you've got lots of selection and you can put a real thoughtful process into purchasing a home as opposed to feeling that pressure that you did before. So we are down probably 50 to 75% on the amount of people that'll look at a home. Uh, to give you an example, I would normally have in the peak of the market, 30 to 50 viewings in a week or maybe even in four days on a home. We are down to maybe 10 to 12 viewings on a home right now. We're not getting as many people looking. And essentially it's because people are sitting on the sidelines saying, hang on, we better see what's going on here. Maybe the market's gonna correct further. Maybe we should wait and see and ride this wave out a little bit. We're also seeing that homes that are really outstanding that have done uh, the renovations, which again, in the past, I've been on your show and I said, right now you don't need to do anything. Today, you need to do a lot. 
You need to make sure that your home stands out, that you go that distance to make sure that you have those nice features and you've done the renovations in order to command the pricing that you're asking because you can't ask what your neighbor got if you don't have what your neighbor had so these are the things that we were getting away with for two years we can't get away with that anymore so we're seeing fewer and fewer buyers fewer buyers means fewer offers fewer offers means less money the number of offers that you get on your home will essentially dictate how well you do so in the limelight of our, um, you know, marketing and offers, um, I would get 12 to 15 offers on a property. Um, I could tell you that 75% of those offers would be at the asking price or low. So they would be, you know, if we were asking 999, hoping to get 1.2 million, we'd get seven or eight offers at 999 or a million dollars. And then the three or four people who really wanted the home would be threatened by the fact that, oh my God, there's seven or eight other people behind me that want this home. So I'm going to pay $1.4 million for this home because with blind bidding, they had no idea what the other offers were. So they were blindly paying this massive amount of money for the home. So we are now seeing maybe one to three offers on a home. Rarely do I get more than that. But the pricing strategy has, is so important. And I've seen agents revert back to selling homes at, if you want $800,000 for your home, you ask $849, the offer comes in at $785, and you end up at $800,000. I don't believe in that strategy being the right strategy. In fact, before bidding wars were a thing, and I'm talking 12 to 15 years ago, I was doing bidding wars 12 to 15 years ago, and I took a lot of heat from for that, but I was selling the way people were accustomed to buying. People who were coming out of our market, Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, Oakville, Burlington, were already buying in bidding wars. So that's the way... I strategized my marketing to make sure I would get those buyers to come in and bid on my listings. And essentially it worked. Today, people are saying, see, bidding wars don't work. We're gonna go back to the way we used to do it. And that I'm telling you is not working. Uh, homes are sitting on the market 45 days, 60 days. We haven't seen that in a few years. The average time a home was sitting on the market 11 days, typically seven days because we would force people to wait a week to make those offers. So now we're seeing one to three offers. This is not the time to pivot on strategy. This is the time to be aggressive on pricing, be very strong on marketing. And I'll be the first to admit, realtors were so lazy in their marketing strategy that they were just putting up a sign and getting an offer. So they had to do no work. They didn't have to market. They didn't have to cooperate with other agents. They didn't have to do any of that to enhance the ability to get these offers. They were not listing it in the outside boards. And then when they were listing it in the outside boards, I don't know how well they were cooperating with those board members. So it's really important today more than ever to have a strong marketing strategy where you're attracting buyers. There are still people coming out of Toronto, not just just not as many that were before, but there are ways to target that audience. And we do it through social media. We target specifically Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, Oakville, Burlington, and a demographic that is similar to the demographic that matches the neighborhood that your home is in. By doing so, we're attracting that buyer to come to your home specifically, and they see our ads 
popping up on Google, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, because we are targeting that audience specifically for your home. So yes, we're seeing fewer offers, less over asking than we did before, but if you strategize it properly, you market it properly, the results will certainly follow. And where are we with the whole blind bidding versus open bidding conversation? So, you know, this is one of those political promises that they had to sort of, you know, pacify uh, people because everybody was complaining about blind bidding. So the government came out and said, if the seller wants to tell you what the offer is, they can. Okay, great. I would never advise my seller to tell the buyer what the other offers are. So it's, it's, it's something, and again, I'm, I'm sure a lot of buyers are listening to this hating on me for saying that, but the reality is this, if I'm selling something, it's like going to an auction, you have a reserve, you know what you want for that, for that item that you're selling. Why would I expose my price right up front to a buyer, especially in a competing situation? So if, if you're asking $8.95 for your home and the best offer on the table is $9.25 and you tell the other three or four people that the best offer on the table is $9.25, well, somebody's gonna come in at $9.26. Then they're going to come in at 927. By, by having blind bidding, it takes the impulsiveness away from it for one. And it puts more thought into the bid. When there's a blind bid, you will think about what you want to offer. You'll look at the comparables. You'll look at the homes that are surrounding. You'll look at things in real time. And you'll say, you know what? Based on what the market is doing today, right now, I'm prepared to pay 925 for this home. You may or may not get a chance to improve your offer. You open that up to open bidding like a live auction. Now you have uh, egos and the, uh, the, the need to win and impulsiveness. And, you know, I don't know what else um, comes into your psyche when you're making these bids, but you feel this need to just keep bidding and keep bidding. Whereas the thoughtfulness of making a, a, an offer is, is ditched right out. And, and, and as realtors, we're going to become auctioneers as opposed to giving advice on what they should be offering or what a seller should be accepting. So I don't recommend to any seller at any given time to expose the offers that are on the table. It just makes absolutely no sense to me. And the government realized that because that's why they're giving the, the sellers the option, but they're pacifying the buyers by saying, look, we did what we promised we were going to do. We're saying transparent bidding is allowed. No seller in the right mind should actually expose their offer. And finally, with, uh, with only about a minute left in the show, I do want to talk once again about your book, The Real Deal, a uh, billion-dollar real estate broker that is available on Amazon as a book and an audio book. Uh, very well written, actually. It's in great plain language, so it's very easy to follow and, and a really good read. When people pick it up, Faisal, what are they going to learn? You know, right now is actually a, a really interesting time because I talk about recession and I talk about interest rates and I talk about the impact of interest rates as it was happening back in the late 80s and the early 90s. And I even talk about me being a 19-year-old who went bankrupt as a result of the recession and the lessons that I learned and what to do and what not to do during those times. So it, it, so it talks a lot about my journey. It talks about building wealth. It talks about investing 
investment strategies. It's also meant to, um, what I like to say, inspire young people, 18, 19 year olds that feel that, you know, they don't want to go to university, they don't want to go to college, and they want to do something different. I'm that kid. I was that 18 year old who decided not to go to university and pick my own lane and build my own career. Um, of course, my parents hated me for, I, I hated the idea of me doing that at the time, but uh, they're certainly happy now. Uh, but I'll tell you, um, there are important lessons that I've learned that I put in that book. And, you know, sometimes you can learn from experience your own experiences, and sometimes you learn from the experiences of others. And I've compiled a lot of my experiences into the book. And it's interesting because we're going through something similar right now with these rate increases and recession talks. And, you know, I've been in the business 33 years. I haven't heard about this recession for a long time and certainly never want to face that again. So um, happy to talk to anybody that has any questions. Again, the book is called The Real Deal, available on Amazon.ca. Faisal, thanks so much for being on the show with us again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Dave. If you'd like to get in touch with Faisal Suziwala, Canada's top real estate agent, call him at 519-624-5555 or learn more online at homeshack.com.